0: We're going to be looking today at Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. I hate to alarm you or alert you to this, but, you know, the holidays are upon us. Uh, they're, They're right around the corner. And so what I want us to do for the next few weeks is to begin to move into the holidays with some purpose. We have an opportunity to make much of Jesus all the time. But the holidays seems to be a a more critical time that we can do that. We have family and friends that we don't normally see that will be around. Generally speaking, there's there's a lighter attitude around the holidays, and it's an opportunity for us to be good witnesses for Jesus Christ. And so for the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving in particular, we're going to be looking at the concept of what it means to be clear about our salvation. What it means to be clear about Jesus and the types of things that that help us to be more clear about our conversion, to be more clear about this cross that we just heard sung about. And so we'll be looking in Colossians chapter 4 as Paul writes to the church, trying to help the church to be the church, and we'll be looking at this concept of how we can be clear about Jesus in the weeks to come. And this morning in particular, we'll be looking at the concept of opening up the eyes of our hearts. But before we do that, let's spend a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you for the beauty of the cross. And we pray now that as we look into the scriptures, would you help us not to, to just do church? Would you help us not just to, to listen to a message, but But would you use the truth of the Bible to change our lives, to change our marriages, to change how we raise our kids, how we minister to our grandchildren, to change how we do work and school, to to just change how we do life, not for the sake of change, but for the glory of your name and for the good of our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. What are you neglecting right now in your life? What are you neglecting? There was a, a pig laying out sun tanning, getting a little, little tan on, and it was, he was laying out right next to a big, huge slab of bacon. And the pig turned to the bacon and said, you know what, maybe next time you'll try some sunscreen." Besides sunscreen in the summer on a hot day, what are you neglecting? What are you putting off? What are you ignoring that really, really needs your attention? You know, sometimes when we think about the idea of neglect, we think of something that's not being cared for, something that's being ignored. We think of it in very negative terms. But there is the concept of planned neglect, the concept of deliberate neglect. You may have heard the story about the the well-known concert violinist that was asked, what was her secret to mastering the violin? And this was her response. Plan neglect. There were many things that used to demand my time. I deliberately planned to neglect everything until my practice period was complete. She had a lot of things that she normally did, and they were good things. But she on purpose neglected those things because there was one thing that was necessary. There was one thing she needed the most. Let me ask you a question How would some planned neglect work in your life this week? How would some planned neglect help your family? What if you on purpose chose to neglect watching TV a little more this week or using your smartphone? Or maybe using the computer. What if this week, and taking a run every single night to the Double K Ranch for Hot Glaze, what if you just went one night this week? You know, not every night, maybe just one night. How would that affect your health? Tim Challey says this, Sometimes God works in me to realize that there are certain things I can live without. My passion for football is fading in direct proportion to the growth of my family so that Sunday afternoons can be more of a time to spend with family and less of a time to spend lying on the couch. My desire to watch television in the evenings is also decreasing so I can spend that time more profitably. While God has helped me in this, I've had to deliberately choose to neglect things that I love planned neglect, deliberate neglect. It means that there's a normal activity, there's a ritual, there's something that you normally do, and you are going to choose to not do it. But not just for the sake of not doing it. It's not like that, that planned neglect has some kind of, you know, player of the week award that we're trying to earn. No, the idea behind planned neglect is that you're neglecting it for something of greater value. What has greater value? I want you to think about all the things that you have to do this week. All the things that you know are are coming your way this week. And I want you to consider all of those things, and many of them are probably very good, but what is something that is greater in value than all those things that will be on your list? Think of the dreams and the desires and the hopes and, and the things that we really want for our church in the future. Good dreams, good desires, good hopes. But what is something that has greater value than some of those hopes and some of those dreams? Of all the things, the good things that we can do as individuals, all the the good things that we can do as a church, what is something that is worthy of a system of planned neglect? What is something that's worthy of more value? Well, the apostle Paul is going to help us. He's writing to the church. He's trying to help the church be the church, and the way he does that is to give them really a very simple instruction. Look at Colossians four, verse two. Paul writes, "Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. What's worthy of a, a system of planned neglect? What's what's worthy?" Of all the good things that we can do, what is something of greater value than all those good things? Prayer. Praying. A devoted life of prayer. The word devoted here in the Greek language means to be steadfast. To be steadfast, to continue, to, to persevere, to persist, to hang in there. This is not something that is like, okay, God, thank you for our food, and now I lay me down to sleep. No, it's, it's beyond that. It's beyond simple praying. This is Olympic training type prayer. This is, this is fighting until the bell rings prayer. This is playing until the final whistle blows prayer. It's a commitment. It's energy. It's effort. Jesus was teaching one day in Luke records this. He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray. The Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he said, pray without ceasing. Now I don't know, if you're like me, you might be thinking, how? How in the world could I do that? I mean, my life is so busy. Pray all the time? Pray without ceasing? That's That's impossible. What is is Jesus talking about? What is is Paul talking about? I do think it's helpful if we have an actual time and place and, you know, consistent prayer time. Those are good and helpful things. But if we look at at how the Bible teaches us about prayer, the concept of prayer is is not regulated to just a time and just a, a place or even just the right words. In fact, if we look at the whole of the Bible, we see that the the main issue when it comes to prayer is attitude, is attitude. Specifically, the attitude of our hearts. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Praying all the time is about the attitude of your heart. It's not about at the stoplight bowing your head and closing your eyes and praying. Which, by the way, don't do that when you're at the stoplight. It's about when you're at the stoplight bowing the eyes of your heart in prayer. Well, that sounds cute. What what does that mean? Well, let me try to help us understand that with another word from the Psalms. Psalm 73 verse 28. As for me, the nearness of God is my good. Even in busy, hectic times, we can actually stay near to God. Let me illustrate this in maybe an overly simplistic way. A few weeks ago, I was checking out at the register in a store, and and as I was checking out, I was was humming. I I hum a lot if I'm walking. I just hum a lot. And so I've been humming and... And when I looked up and the young lady gave me the receipt, she had that look, the look of a smile, and then the look of, you're crazy. Now, I get this look a lot, so it's not a strange thing for me, and I'm, and I'm okay with it. But, but as I walked off, I caught myself thinking about what I had just been humming at the register. And so in early October, I was humming, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I saw that look on her face. Like, you're, you're crazy. Because see, I, I didn't just skip Thanksgiving. I skipped Halloween. I skipped Columbus Day to get to Christmas. I went over everything to make my way forward. Years ago when the kids were still little, we were walking from one side of campus to the other side of campus to go tailgate with my parents to the college football game and, and boy it was loud and there's people everywhere and there's loud music and there's screaming and there's laughing. And I found myself walking through this crowd of loudness and I, I caught myself whistling. And I had been whistling for a while. And and what I was whistling was a little funny for, you know, college football game day, but I was I was whistling praise. To the Lord, the Almighty. And I was just going to town. And I caught myself and I had this, this moment. You see, I, I wasn't whistling because, you know, that's just what I do normally at college football games. I don't normally whistle hymns. And I wasn't whistling just because, you know, I'm a pastor and that's what a, a man of the cloth is supposed to do. You know, he's supposed to whistle hymns. When he's out in public. Now the reason I whistled that day was because that morning I read this. That morning I can remember reading the words of the psalmist, and I I remembered this promise, this concept, that being near to God it was good for me. And and something shifted in my heart that morning. This this nearness to God was was something different. And in the middle of the loudness, in the middle of the crowd. What had happened in my heart that morning whistled out a little bit of the glories of God. And I I smiled because I caught myself because this is what I thought. I thought, it can really happen. (laughs) This, This really can work. In the middle of a crazy life, I can still be near to God. In the middle of a hectic life, I can still be near to God. In the middle of my turmoil and my depression and my anger and my frustration and my stress and my strife, whatever it may be, I can still be near to God. I do not have to leave Him. Think of it this way. What if all we did in life was to stay on our cell phone? What if all we did was to to listen to the, the greatest hits of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s all day long? What if all we did was keep up with the latest movies on our movie channels or the, or the weather report or our emails or the latest kitten and puppy videos on the internet? We have to see all of those, right? If that's all we do, if that's the only thing that feeds our minds, then we won't be able to stay near to God. We won't be able to stay connected to God. But if we do the opposite, if we find ways to, to feed our minds with God's truth, to feed our minds with God's Word, over time, prayer is not something the preacher does or the deacons do or, or the ministers at church do or, the, or the, during the offertory. But, but prayer becomes something that, that we do, that is a part of who we are. We, we find ourselves praying behind the wheel and behind the desk and behind the stove. We find prayer becoming a part of of who we are, not because we're forcing ourselves to pray, but because we're learning what it means to be near to God. We're learning what it means to love this God who loves us. Paul says we need to be devoted in prayer. When we're listening to music, when we're watching the news, talking on the phone, looking at email, none of those things have to distract us. From God. And it doesn't mean, you know, that in the middle of your phone conversation you you stop the person you're talking to and say, hang on one second, let me just say a blessing over our phone conversation. If you want to do that, it's fine. I wouldn't do it all the time. People might think you're weird. It's just it's not constantly stopping, but it's it's that attitude of prayer, it's that reminder that I do not have to be distracted from God. He was a high-ranking military officer, he was very important had a lot of leadership roles and one day he was at his house and all of his family was there some friends were there that he had invited over and there was one other person a special guest and the special guest stood up that day and he told the people about Jesus and for all practical purposes everybody in that house that day got saved the man's name was Cornelius And how did all that happen? Where did it it start? Where did it begin? Where did all those people's salvation begin? Dr. Luke records this story, Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. There was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion, a devout man who feared God and what? Prayed to God continually. This is what Cornelius did. He prayed to God continually. And Luke records that one day when he was praying, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel told him to send for this man named Peter, and the man named Peter was going to come to their house and tell them about Jesus. His prayer was answered. That's the best part of the story. His prayer was answered. Well, what was he praying? Well, if the angel said his prayer was answered, and the answer to his prayer was that some guy came to his house, told everybody about Jesus, and they all got saved. Then undoubtedly his prayer prayer was something like this, God, what do I need to be saved? God, how can I be saved? Cornelius was praying with desperation. He wanted truth. He wanted answers. He wanted hope. And his prayer was answered. How desperate are you? in your prayers to God? How much do you really beg God to work in your life? Paul said we need to be devoted to prayer. There was another man. He was from an upper-class family. Always had many of the important things in life. And and he grew up to be a very high-ranking official in a government office. And he was great at what he did. He was very successful. But there were some people that didn't like his success, and and they didn't like his power that he had gained, and they wanted to ruin his career, and they wanted to ruin his life. And so through a series of very strange legal loopholes, he found himself in prison with some very wild, violent inmates. His name was Daniel. Daniel. And what caused Daniel to go from such a great status in life to such a a low status in life to be thrown in prison with hungry lions? This is what the Bible says, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. He entered his house and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. Daniel prayed and that's why he got in trouble. It's an important point to remember. Virginia Owens helps us with this. Once you start praying, there is no guarantee that you won't find yourself before Pharaoh, shipwrecked on a desert island, or in a lion's den. Whoever wrestles with God in prayer puts his whole life at stake. Awful things happen to people who pray. Their plans are frequently disrupted, and they end up in strange places. Sign me up, right? Man, I can't wait to pray. Man, that sounds great. She continues. How tempting to up the stakes, making prayer merely another consumer product. How embarrassing to have to admit not only that prayer may get you into a prison, but also that while you're moldering away in a miry pit there, you may have a long list of lamentations and unanswered questions to present to your Lord. How are we going to tell people that they may end up lame and vagrant if they grasp hold of this God. Woo, great first Sunday, Dal. Love the encouragement. (laughs) But can you get the picture here? Cornelius and Daniel had status. And they were forsaking their status for prayer. And why were they praying? They were praying because they had grasped a hold of God. There was something about this God that rattled them deep in their souls. This God that they said they loved and they said they trusted, they really loved and they really trusted. And the consequences of their prayer were not exactly what we would sign up for. But they did not hesitate to pray. How much are we grasping hold of God in prayer? Think of just the things that we've sung this morning. Jesus, you are my king as long as everything's going my way. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow unless I don't like what's on my calendar tomorrow. You see, the power of what we sing can't just be a song in the sanctuary. It really has to make it to Tuesday afternoon. Jesus has to be king on Tuesday afternoon. He is king. And he, he already is king. But, but we have to acknowledge him as king for all these moments. Cornelius and Daniel, they were acknowledging God as, as king. And we're going to stick with him. We're going to be devoted to God because we've grasped a hold of, of who he is. Why is it that, that far too many of us don't pray like, Cornelius and Daniel? Well, if I could just hurt all of our feelings, it's it's because we really don't believe in this God, we claim to know. I mean, we say we believe him until something bad happens, and then we go, I don't know, God should have worked this out. And we begin to doubt, and we begin to struggle. And I'm sure Daniel struggled, and I'm sure Cornelius struggled, but they didn't lose that devotion. I fear that sometimes our attitude toward prayer is, is kind of like you know crawling up into God's lap and say, hey God, this is what I need this week. This is what I'm looking for. And we kind of expect that when we wake up the next morning that you know it's all going to be laying out in the den for us. You know, every, everything you know, that we prayed for. But that's not the attitude of prayer that God's called us to. And it's not the attitude of prayer that will give us hope. You know what? That's more discouraging. Because, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I mean, I used to, I used to pray for Dallas Cowboys football helmet you know, for Christmas. That's what I wanted. Back of the Sears catalog had the whole section of NFL. Stuff. That's what I wanted. I, I didn't get it. you know. And you know what? I lived. <laughs> it's okay. And so our approach to prayer can't always be, well, God, this is what I want. And if you don't give it, I might doubt you. But it's more, God, this is what I want. But I want you more. I want you more. Paul's trying to move us away from just asking for Christmas presents type of prayer to asking for God's presence, His attendance in our lives. Look what he says next. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Alert here in the Greek language means to to stay awake. Now look, I know some of us have a hard time staying awake. Maybe you're having a hard time this morning staying awake. You know, and in the morning when we're praying, you know, sometimes we're, you know, we're not sure sometimes what we're praying, you know. Well, that's not the idea that Paul is getting at here. It's it's not the the aspect of staying awake. It's the aspect of of staying alert, of, of hanging in there. Just before he was murdered, this is what Jesus told his disciples. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak the picture here is to is to keep watching to to keep praying to to hang in there to to be active not to not to turn away not to not to let down i want you to think about you know doing some type of physical activity you know maybe it's it's something exercise or fitness or maybe you're playing sports with your friends or your grandkids or somebody like that and and you mess up you know you just you're not meeting up to the potential of the moment you know what do you what do you do what do you say? What do we say? We say things like this. Oh, I didn't stretch. I, if I would have stretched, I, I could have done that, you know. Well, I, I'm just I'm out of practice, you know. I just need to warm up a little bit. Oh, my hands slipped. We have all kinds of excuses, you know, out on the court and out on the ball field. But those kind of excuses do not need to be in our spiritual lives. We we need to keep praying. We need to keep working out our faith. We really need to keep our hands on God's Word. It needs to be active. It can't be passive. It can't just be in the morning when we're half asleep. A life of prayer has got to be something that we do all the time with no hesitation. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, and he says to be alert in prayer. And one more thing he says here, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. All right, that's it. Thanksgiving Day. There's the word right there. We only have to pray over the food on Thanksgiving Day. That's all we have to do as Christians, right? Not at all. Our life is supposed to be a life marked with prayer, and we're supposed to be thankful. Why? Why are we supposed to be thankful? Paul, again, writing to the Thessalonians, said this, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There you go. How many of you are wondering what God's will is for your life? We just solved it right here, right now. Always, God's will for your life is to be thankful all the time. (laughs) These guys are crazy, right? I mean, they're back in Bible times. They don't understand our lives. They don't know. They, They didn't have the pressures that we have. They don't understand who we are thankful all the time you can't be stay with me you, you can't be thankful for everything but you can be thankful in everything let me illustrate i'm not thankful You know when my favorite team loses and I'm not thankful when my car breaks down on the side of the road and I'm not thankful when the medical bills pile up or they're higher than I expected and I'm not thankful for rude negative people don't you love the rude negative people guy? we're not always thankful for the things that are going on but we can be thankful in the things that are going on why because our thankfulness is in Christ Jesus In other words, the ultimate reality of life, if you're a Christian, is Jesus. That's the ultimate reality. Everything else is secondary. The the most real thing to us as Christians should be Jesus Christ. Now, I confess, that's, that's not always true for us, is it? Work is more real, and and tests at school are more real, and, and problems at home are more real. And it's not that those things are unimportant, but none of them are more real than Jesus because Jesus is higher over everything. He's the king. The short of it is this the ultimate reality of life is Jesus because with Jesus, I'm saved. And and somehow that still has to mean something. As my friend Brad used to say, everything above hell is icing on the cake when it comes to Jesus. That's so true. If we have Jesus, we have everything. We've received mercy instead of justice. We've received grace upon grace upon grace. We have been loved by Jesus. We have been forgiven by Jesus. And that reality changes everything. This is how the Apostle Paul said it. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a crazy, wonderful Bible verse. There is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Think of your worst moment this week. It cannot separate you from the love of Christ. Think of the worst defeat that you've experienced in your life. The worst stress. The worst depression. Whatever it is, none of it is stronger or more powerful or has more authority than Jesus. None of it. The reason we can be devoted to prayer is because we have Jesus. The reason we can stay alert in prayer is because we we have the story about Jesus. And the reason that we can pray with thankfulness even in the worst of times is because it's still well with our souls because of Jesus. There's a story told about a, a lighthouse that was out on the coast. And the keeper of the lighthouse was given oil for one month. He had enough supplies for one month and he was commissioned to keep the light burning. That was his only job, keep the light burning. Here's how the rest of the story goes. One day a woman asked for oil so that her children could stay warm. Then a farmer came. His son needed oil for a lamp so he could read. Still, another needed some for an engine. The keeper saw each as a worthy request and measured out just enough oil to satisfy everybody who asked for some. Near the end of the month, the oil tank in the lighthouse ran dry. That night, the beacon was dark and three ships crashed on the rocks. More than a hundred lives were lost. When an official was investigating, the man explained what he had done and why, and this is what the official said back to him, you were given one task alone. It was to keep the light burning. Everything else was secondary. We're beginning our lives together this morning. I as your pastor, and hopefully you as my church. We are, we are doing life together. I don't have all the answers. I am not the Pope. I am not the priest. I am not a super Christian. I'm just a guy who is serving with you And I'll be the lead teacher. But as we do life together, what we really need right now to commit ourselves to is a system of planned neglect. It doesn't have to be on the calendar. It doesn't have to be on the schedule. But me and you, we need to be Christians that are deliberately neglecting things for prayer that we're deliberately neglecting certain things and grasping hold of this God that we sing of. This God that we trust and love. And that's one of the reasons Paul turns to the church and says, you know what? You guys need to be devoted to prayer. You need to pray. You need to be devoted, you need to be alert, and you need to be thankful. Why? Because we have Jesus. Because we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything. And if we have Jesus, everything else is secondary. I pray that in the coming weeks, as we have the opportunity to serve together, and as we have the opportunity to be around our families, I hope that we will make it clear that we know Jesus and that he's worthy to be known. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the power and authority of the Scriptures. We ask that You would help us in every way to love the truth of prayer. Not as an event, not as just something on the calendar, not just something that we do in the prayer room, that that our lives would be marked with prayer, that we would pray in the prayer room, that we pray in the kitchen, that we'd pray with our spouses, but that we would pray. That the attitude of our heart would be like a Daniel and a Cornelius that we, we want more of you. Would you give us a heart like that? And would you help us to see that if we will, we will see your grace. We will experience your mercy in ways that we want to, but we are not. Teach us to pray. Pull us toward prayer. And help us to do it with thankful hearts. In the great name of Jesus. Amen. Perhaps you're here today and some of this made sense because you are a believer. Or maybe you're here today and the reality is is that none of this made sense. Maybe you heard some things about Jesus but you don't actually know Jesus. Maybe the truth is it's really not well with your soul. I plead with you to come to Christ today. The songs that we have sung, the the scripture that has been read, the prayers that have been prayed, uh, the, the preaching of God's word, all of these is so that you would catch a glimpse of Jesus. And maybe today that glimpse needs to move you from information about Jesus to being rescued by him. If you need to repent of your sins and receive the salvation that only Jesus offers, the joy that only Jesus offers, I plead with you to come to Christ today. I'll be down at the front for a few moments if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to have a soul that really is well if your team loses, that really is well if the car breaks down and all the other things happen in life because you are confident that Jesus is King. You are confident of who you believe in. If you want to be a part of our church family, I'll be down at the front for a few moments. We'd love to have you come and help us make a big deal out of Jesus. We're glad you're here. Our closing hymn this morning is going to be hymn number 249, Jesus Paid It All. If that is an interesting few words for you, let me just speak clearly what it means. It means that your penalty for your sin has been paid by Jesus. And he paid it all. You can't chip in any. There is no 401k in salvation. It is all the authority and the blood of Christ. I plead with you to come to Jesus today. And I plead with us to make a big deal of him with our lives and make him clear. Tim's going to come and lead us as we stand and sing.